Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2022. The early weeks of the year are often a time when many of us reflect on our habits, what's going well in our life and what we want to maybe change and build on for the year ahead. But whenever you're listening to this, habits matter. They are really the foundation of success as students. If you think about it, if you don't have a regular habit of studying, it's going to be pretty challenging to make the progress you want in your courses. And what about your habits for how you choose to study? Are you working effectively with solid learning strategy based on spaced retrieval practice? Or are you wasting your time with low effort, relatively ineffective techniques like rereading or making notes? The habits surrounding your work matter too. So, for example, do you have a habit of putting your phone out of sight in another room so that you can focus on your work and get it done faster and better quality? Or do you have a habit of fiddling with your phone or checking messages on your phone or laptop right through your work? Good lifestyle habits also matter. They create the conditions for success. Do you have good habits around bedtime or exercise or diet that all give you the energy you need to work with the focus and intensity you want to get the most out of your study hours? Over the next couple of weeks, I want to introduce you to my friend Chris Loper, who is a specialist coach for people looking to create lasting habit change in their life. Chris Loper is also a massively experienced academic tutor uh, and shares my passion for the science and psychology of effective learning. That combination of his specialism in habit change and his passion for good education practice proved pretty irresistible to me. Uh, so I invited him here on the show to share some of his best tips for us as students to change the habits that matter in our lives. Today, we're going to be talking to Chris about some of the grounding principles for creating lasting changes in your habits. You'll pick up some useful tips and tricks if there are any things you want to work on, build upon this year in your life regarding your habits. Hopefully, you'll find some useful advice in this episode. Then do join us again next week when we'll be flipping things around for once uh, and putting me in the hot seat. Uh, and Chris is going to be taking on the mantle of my coach as I work on trying to change a habit in my own life. It's a really interesting episode. It gives you a real nice insight into the sort of process uh, by which you can go about uh, building lasting change in the areas that matter to you. But to kick off this two-part special, let's meet Chris and dive right into the fascinating world of our own habits and behaviours and the things we can do to influence and change them for the better. Here's Chris. Chris Loper, welcome to the podcast. Hi, William. Happy to be here. So uh, just tell us a little bit about how you came to know so much, both about effective ways to study and also about how to help people change their habits whether they're habits to do with academia and studying or habits to do with something else entirely. Yeah. Um, so about eight years ago, I got really into the science of creativity just as a personal passion project. And I discovered that creativity um, is largely built on 
your own knowledge base. So uh, effective learning is a great strategy for becoming more creative. The more ideas you have in your head, the more you'll have to draw upon to combine and amend to make new ideas. And so that led me to uh, various books and courses on the science of learning. And then um, I uh, broke my foot and so uh, abandoned my ski bum lifestyle where I was a bartender and a waiter and basically grew up and moved to Seattle uh, and needed to find a different career that it didn't involve being on my feet all the time. And I was like, well, I'm, I kind of know a lot about, you know, all the various high school subjects and I know a lot about learning now because I've been studying that. So I'll be a tutor. Um, and I happened to get hired at an excellent company called Northwest Educational Services. And their tagline is learn how to learn. So they're more than just regular tutors. We are academic coaches. So we're trying to help students with the big picture, um, as well as the day-to-day homework and studying. And right when I started, I took uh, Barbara Oakley's uh, Coursera course, which is called uh, Learning How to Learn, um, which is free. And it's like the most popular online course of all time. And I read her book, uh, A Mind for Numbers which is not just about math, but about learning in general. It's very excellent. And then as I worked at, uh, worked with Northwest Educational Services, um, I started writing an education blog for that company, which you can find at nwtutoring.com. And I studied under the uh, sort of Jedi master of tutoring, uh, Greg Smith, who is the owner of Northwest Educational Services and uh, learned from his deep, deep experience supporting students, both in and out of schools. So that's the learning side of life. Um, The behavioral change side of life, uh, I learned purely out of personal necessity. In my late 20s, I was something of a train wreck. I was a a marijuana addict with a penchant for binge drinking. I had accumulated a bunch of injuries by trying to pack an entire lifetime of mountain living into four years. And I wasn't healing physically or mentally, which wasn't taking good care of myself. So I studied the science of behavioral change and habit formation in order to change my own life. So I got sober. I started exercising every day. I started eating healthy. I started meditating. Um, I started doing my physical therapy homework. So I actually healed and a host of other things. And then I was uh, at the time teaching a class uh, for fun uh, about science and history. And we decided, let's do, let's do behavioral change. Let's teach this for a while. And I taught what I was working on personally. And the people were like, this is so useful. Why didn't anyone tell me this earlier? You should be a coach. And I was like, good point. I'll do that. And of course it carries over into my work with students because students also struggle with procrastination and habit formation and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a really nice it's a really nice compliment. Um, I just just curious. Obviously, we're going to talk more about how to how to change one's habits for for good, and we'll, we'll dive into some of those those uh, nuggets in in a second. Um, just curious in in the work you've been doing, particularly as a as a kind of habit change coach. Tell us about some of the habits you've you've helped real people build and and change. Yeah, um, one of the most common ones is exercise. Um, you know. People uh, hit me up and, and they realize they're like, I know I'm supposed to exercise and I know how to do it, but I just I can't get myself to do it consistently. Uh, well, it's okay. The problem is not you. It's, it's just a hard to start a new habit. So let's 
be strategic about it. Meditation is a common habit people want to start. Professional development, um, like self-education to advance their career. Or, you know, one of my earlier clients was a real estate agent who they have to really self-motivate and go out and like get leads so they can get clients. And it was very hard for him to get himself to do that work. And so we built him a system to do that and grow his business. And then the flip side is negative habits like procrastination, which often goes hand in hand with perfectionism, which I see a lot in students and in adults, even up to very serious bad habits like addiction. Um, since I have personal experience, uh, sometimes people reach out to me to get support with that. Amazing. It really it's such a such a broad set of challenges that you can apply that that kind of core tool set to. It's 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 really interesting. It's really interesting. Let's take a case study to to give the conversation a bit of structure. So, you know, for a lot of people listening, this might ring some bells on some level. So, you know, let's say the habit we're trying to build or perhaps build to be a little stronger is some kind of regular daily study habit. So, you know, I've had this conversation myself in various forms with scholars of all ages, uh, you know, might be a professional who's trying to fit in some studying for, uh, you know, her exams around a day job, or I might be a student at school or college, and I'm looking to try and get in some uh, perhaps daily exam practice. So for some of you listening today, hopefully, you know, that might that might ring true uh, and be aligned with some of the goals you're working on. Uh, if not, then I, you know, my hope is that you'll be able to take some of the lessons that uh, Chris and I are going to talk about, and you'll be able to to see how you might be able to apply those again, apply that tool set to really any kind of habit you're looking to build, whether that's something to do with academia and studying, or might be something else entirely, like Chris was mentioning, like uh, you know, exercise or, or meditating regularly, for for example. So we've got this goal of some daily studying in preparation for some exams that are coming up a little way off. Let's roll up our sleeves and try and make it happen then, Chris. Where would we start with working towards a goal like that? So uh, the first thing I always want people to do is get clear on why they want to do this. You can't, it can't just be like, well, I think I'm supposed to, you know, or I should do it. That's too vague. It feels too external. So whatever your reason or reasons are, for doing this thing, get clear on what those are and write them down. That's just essential to do because in the moment, you're going to be thinking, I want to go outside and play, or I want to play video games, or I want to hang out with my friends. And you have to have have a way to remind yourself of the things you also want. Like, I also want to score well on this exam because I also want to get into this particular program because I also want to have this great career or whatever the the want is. You never want just one thing. You have these competing wants. And our brains in the moment will very much highlight the short-term hedonistic goals and wants that we, you know, we're prone to compulsively jump into. So we have to consciously acknowledge and remind ourselves of what our deeper wants are. And then once you've established why you want to do this thing, Then we need to get clear on when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it, like what it actually looks like to do this study habit. So where might be I'm going to the library, or it might be at my dedicated study space that I've created in my room. When might be a particular time uh, that you have scheduled, and how might be like, okay, what is my minimum time to do it every day? 
what am I actually doing when I study? Am I using the smart study techniques that William has taught me? Or am I just grinding and rereading? And, you know, create a plan and write it down. Um, And if it's, you know, schedule it on your calendar, schedule it in your planner. Nice, nice. That sounds, that's, that's really clear. So starting with, start with, start with your why. Start with the reasons why it matters, and that'll be your that'll be your north star that keeps you going. You know, even when you're feeling the pull of these other temptations in the moment, and then you want to think about your you know the the elements of your plan. So you're saying the when, the where, and the how. Um, let's just maybe break those down a little bit. So for where you mentioned the importance of maybe having a dedicated space, talk to me about that a little bit. So like when I was in college, our house was kind of a mess and a party house. And so you really, it was not a place to get work done. So if you wanted to get work done, you went to the library um, where it was quiet and it was clear, like this space is for learning. That's one option if you're like on a college campus or even, um, you know, I used to go get study rooms at public libraries, but a lot of people will have a desk in their room and that's where they're going to study. And I think it is so essential to have that set up very well in an organized, clean way where your resources are right there, all within arm's reach. All the materials you might need or want to access are all right there. So it's easier to start. If your desk is messy and you can't even access it without doing two minutes of work, that two minutes of work ends up being a really huge mental obstacle. It just becomes an excuse to not start. And we want to get that out of the way. Sounds good. So either going to some kind of public space where you know, studying is, uh, you know, it's easy to study, or or having your own sort of private dedicated space uh, suitably organised. Uh, I guess not to the point where you're falling into the trap of spending three hours every day recolor coding your uh, stationary collection. Um, <laughs> there's there's a, there's a balance to be drawn, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but like not. You know, the, the place where you study should not also be the place where you play video games, right? Because if you're trying to do work and the this visceral temptation is like right there, you know, that's like asking, a, you know, a fifth grader to eat a salad while there's a chocolate cake on the table. It's like, it's really hard to not look at that cake, you know? So, so we, we, what do we do with the what do we do with the metaphorical cake or uh you know our games console or i guess the same will be said for you know your smartphone hide it <laughs> yeah um absolutely you know if i'm going to be studying i'm in airplane mode if i'm doing any kind of uh, deep work uh cal newport style my phone is in airplane mode and also not in view so i'm not looking at it not seeing it not hearing it for some people the temptation is even greater and they need to go like bury it under some stuff in a closet in another room <laughs> depending on their level of you know tech addiction. Yeah, so making making temptations hard to access and you were talking about how you have all your resources that you need for studying easy to access. That applies also to your digital space, um, which is something I rarely see people do well um, when I get to see like their computer screen when we're doing Zoom tutoring or coaching. Um, you know, their favorites bar is full with, it's like YouTube and you know, games website and comedy website and all these things that are just temptations. And none of the academic websites they need to visit on a regular basis are on their favorites bar. And I'm like, we need to reverse that. We need to make the temptations out of sight, out of mind, and put, you know, your school website, your grade website, your Khan Academy, everything you need to access on a regular basis to learn 
should be one click away. So it's really fast and easy to get to. That's great. No, I think that's that's really insightful. I think that's uh, a great a great reminder, great tip. You also mentioned the importance of having a particular time when you do your habits. Why does that matter? Why why can't we just be fast and loose and kind of fit it in whenever we've got time? I mean, technically you can. It just makes it a lot harder um, to do it randomly. The habit will stick much better if it's consistent. If you're if you have a very uh, clear routine about when and where you do it. The exact time of day isn't as important as uh, a routine about the order of behaviors. So maybe it's like I get home from school, I have a snack, I unpack my backpack, and then I do 20 minutes of test prep. And maybe you get home from school at different times every day because some days you have a club or a sport that you go to. But the order of behaviors creates more of a mechanistic like robotic routine that you go through without really having to think about it or force yourself to do it. It just, you get home and it's like, oh, this is what I do. And your brain just starts doing it and your body just starts doing it. And then the other key thing I see with regard to like test prep specifically and, you know, studying is usually that's tacked onto a pre-existing workload of either homework or if you're a grown-up, um, you know, a job and family obligations. And when you ask people what their game plan is, most of the time they say, oh, well, I'm going to get my homework done and then I'm going to do SAT prep for 20 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, here's the deal. You're going to get your homework done at 8.30 at night and you're going to be tired and you're just going to not do the test prep. (laughs) You need to reverse that. You got to do it first because you're a responsible student. You're going to get your homework done. So you got to do that thing that I should do, but don't have to do at the front end when your energy is highest and then, you know, and cut yourself off, you know, don't do it for two hours and then not do your homework or stay up till midnight, but like put in your study time first and then do the things you, you know, have to do before tomorrow. Yeah. If I'm someone with an exhausting day job, uh, you know, maybe for me, that would mean getting up and doing my study habit in the morning while I've still got energy and mental capacity before I go and exhaust myself working a long day at the office. Right. Exactly. Almost everybody does better brain work in the morning and, you know, in the afternoon you can get through your tasks, you know, doing shallow work. Um, But if you got to do some professional growth or serious, you know, exam prep for your job, I would get up and do it first thing before you go to work. Before your day gets hijacked by all the inputs and demands that the world's going to throw at you. Nice. Chris, you've mentioned this uh, concept a couple of times, deep work versus shallow work. Maybe we could just take a second to, to unpack that slightly for, for people that are new to those terms. Right. Yeah. Deep work is the kind of work that should be done with complete focus, with no distractions for you know, a fairly significant length of time, like uh, maybe at least a half an hour, but maybe at least 15 minutes is a more realistic minimum for people. And that would be things like learning and studying or writing or, you know, even doing art. That's something you don't want to do while you're constantly getting interrupted, um, you know, by notifications on your phone or something. Shallow work is stuff like answering emails or, you know, checking the news or doing a chore you know, it's okay if you get interrupted. And so it's important to distinguish between those two things. 
and then treat your homework and your studying as a deep work activity because you'll be way more efficient and you'll get more out of it. Makes sense. I refer listeners to previous episodes with, for example, James Lang and Professor Stefan van der Stiekel uh, for more on the concept of uh, concentration and focus. Um, and you know, absolutely echoing uh, what Chris has just said as well. So really, really helpful reminder. So we've had why, we've had where, we've had when. Uh, how was the other thing you mentioned, uh, if I recall? So thinking about perhaps the minimum time you're committing to for this habit and also what you're actually going to be doing uh, in it. Anything more to think about in terms of um, best practice, maybe do's or don'ts uh, when it comes to the the kind of the how element and, and getting that right? I mean, first of all, study using the techniques that William teaches um, and uh, what his guests and, and blogs teach, because you're not going to retain information if you just look over it or you know rewrite your notes. You have to do something genuinely difficult and to basically to convince your brain to not just delete the information. I really love the phrase you used to describe this, Chris. I think you talk about uh, sort of how to convince the brain to care. Yes. And so this is uh, one of my geeked out subjects is studying human nature. Um, you know, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, they didn't have a lot of food um, necessarily. So they, they didn't have food security like we do. They had to, they were often going hungry and, you know, they had to work hard to get their food. They can't just walk to a grocery store or restaurant. So our brains, um, which are very calorically expensive, your brain uses about 20% of your calories, um, even though it's only about 2% of your body weight. Your brain evolved to be conservative about using calories and figuring things out, forming memories. That's calorically expensive. That's work for your brain. And so unless your brain is convinced that something's really important, it's just going to delete it, you know, and and try not to think about it. So we look around all day, we see stuff all day, and we take in millions of pieces of information per second, and our brains are just like delete, 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 because we don't need it. So if you want to actually remember something, and it's not something like super important, like everyone remembers the first time they broke their arm, you know, because it's a really important experience. But the stuff in school, the stuff you're studying for an exam, it doesn't have that feel. It doesn't feel super important to your brain. You might think it's important and know that like there's a test coming and it's really important, but your brain's like, eh, I'm not convinced. I'm just going to delete this. So you got to do something and it's usually work to convince your brain that it needs to remember it. So writing is much more powerful than looking and it works because you don't like to do it because you're, you're, as you're writing, you're, your brain's like, wait, why are we writing? Writing is work. We don't like this. This isn't fun. Oh my God. He's still writing. Good oh, wait, man, he's still writing? This must be important. Whoa, maybe we shouldn't delete this information immediately. Okay, maybe we'll hold on to it. And that's why spaced repetition works. Your brain's like, I thought that wasn't important. Why is he coming back to it? Oh, he's coming back to it again? Jeez, maybe we need to remember this. So you got to convince your brain to not delete the information by using you know study methods that actually force you to do work and to recall the information basically all the things that William advises people to do. <laughs> Feel the burn when you learn <laughs> for, for best results. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, the one side of how, right? And then the other side of how is the how much should you study? You know, and a lot of people set a really unrealistically high goal. They're like, oh, I'm going to study for two hours a day. I'm like, and you're currently studying how much? None. Okay. That's a big leap. 
maybe we should set the goal a little lower. Maybe we should set it to a 15 minute bar, you know, you know, a, a more realistic goal to start out with. Yeah. So talk to me about why it's so important to start with something that's realistic. Yeah. Um, so if you set the goal too high, it becomes really easy to say to yourself, I don't have time and we don't want to do that. Uh, we want to we want to have the bar be low enough where you can't really justify to yourself saying I don't have time or, or I don't have time or perhaps I don't have energy today. Right. Yeah. Make it easy to start. And this is really critical if you procrastinate. So, you know, like if you're human because almost everybody procrastinates. The way to get over procrastination is to get going. Cuz once you get going, you get to you build momentum and it's much easier to keep going. I mean, it's basically Newton's law of motion applied to productivity, you know, an object in motion tends to stay in motion, an object at rest tends to stay at rest, a person um, who's working tends to keep working, a person who's on the couch tends to stay on the couch. So to overcome procrastination, like, you know, I, I recommend people set a five minute timer and say like, yeah, I got to study for five minutes, or I got to do five minutes of work on this project, and I get to quit afterwards. And you, that's the story you tell yourself. It's the deal you make with yourself and you sit down, you set the timer and you do focused work for five minutes and the timer goes off and one of three things happens. Best case scenario, you've got momentum. You're now feeling motivated because you started doing the work. You started seeing yourself as someone who could do the work. You're kind of happy that you're making progress. And so you're like, awesome. I'm on a roll. Keep going. Option two, timer goes off and you're like, Ugh, this is not fun. But, you know, I'm not bleeding. Like, I'm okay. I could do another five minutes. Reset the timer. Option three, you throw in the towel. You're like, oh, I can't do it. Too much. I'm taking a break. I'll try again later. And that's totally fine. Because it's a deal you made with yourself. Only had to do five minutes. And, you know, in terms of studying, five minutes is way better than nothing. You do five minutes a day. I'd rather see you do five minutes a day than an hour once a week because you're getting spaced repetition. You're probably forming a better memory that way. Yeah, and I'd agree. Let's take stock. We've got our clear why. We've got our dedicated space. Uh, we've got our particular time. Uh, we've got our goal for how long we want to spend, our realistic goal uh, for how long we want to spend, even if it's just five minutes. Uh, starting there, you can always build up gradually as, as the habit becomes established and you're clear on what you're going to do in that time. And you've written it down. You mentioned that was important as well, making your, making the intention clear to yourself. Yes, there's lots of research that says a written goal is like 10 times more likely to happen than a goal in your head. Once again, it's you're convincing your brain to care because you're writing. So you're like, oh, this, is, this matters. This is meaningful. You know, it's a commitment device. So are there any other major components that you think it'd be important to, to share with people? So there's one thing that gets in the way a lot is perfectionism. Um, that's a common source of procrastination. And it kind of goes in hand in hand with that setting a high to high of a bar for yourself. And that could look like it doesn't count as studying if I don't do at least an hour. And we got to throw that idea away because five minutes is still not nothing. Everything counts. And then the other version is like, I can't start this paper until I know exactly what I'm going to do. And it's going to be perfect. Again, that is super unhelpful. So you got to start with, okay, my first priority is good enough and once it's good enough, then I could take it from decent to great if I have time. And then the idea, the, the physical tool that I teach people to use 
to kind of bring all these ideas together is uh, effort tracking, which uh, if it's a single habit you're working on, that would come in the form of a calendar chain where you you print out a, a physical calendar for one or to two or three months um, or use a wall calendar if you have one of those. And if you do your daily minimum, you put an X in the box for that day. So let's say you're starting a meditation habit. You want to put in three minutes a day. You got that calendar. You write down why you want to to meditate. You write down what the daily minimum is. Put it somewhere that you'll see it. So it's an actual physical reminder. And then if you do your habit, you put an X in the box. It's kind of like a little pat on the back for doing what you said you were going to do. And if you want to make it really good, say to yourself the phrase, that's like me. So you reinforce the identity as the person who did the thing. So it starts to feel more and more natural for you to do that thing. If you have a bunch of different habits to, uh, or a bunch of different little behaviors you want to do on a consistent basis, I recommend an effort tracking spreadsheet uh, where you where you have like a spreadsheet for the week and you can write, you know, maybe a half a dozen activities that you want to do on a regular basis and just track whether or not you did them and you can set goals for the week. At the end, you tally it up and see how you did and then reset for another week. So that works if you've got like six classes, you got finals coming up, you want to put in regular studying for each of them and make sure you're covering all your bases. Studying for like the SAT that has five sections, make five rows, one for each section, that kind of thing. Nice. We actually did a little bit of uh, habit coaching on me together uh, while we were helping me <laughs> uh, build, build a meditation habit. And you can hear a little of how that went uh, in, in next week's bonus episode. And uh, I was using one of those techniques uh, to help help build the habit. The, the first one you mentioned, the, the calendar chain, because it was just a single habit. And that's, that's been working great so far, 10, 10 or so days in. And that's, that's been a really great start for, for me. So Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation, a real insight into the power of all these sort of tools and techniques that you can use to actually get things to change uh, for the better in in your life. I know you're currently accepting new habit change coaching clients. So uh, if there's there's anyone listening to this who's thinking, you know what, I I could use a bit of help in in this sort of sphere, whether it's building new or better uh, academic or study habits or perhaps something else entirely like exercise or meditation uh, what would your uh, what would your message be about you know how people can can work with you i would love to help people out it's something i'm really passionate about doing um you know it's really rewarding to see people grow and change and and start living you know the extraordinary life that they really want to live so my coaching is uh the kinds of strategies you've heard today and more and very individualized because everyone's uh, situation is unique. And uh, it would be done over the course of several weeks. And so there will be accountability from me on whether or not you're actually doing it, as well as, you know, regular check-ins and, you know, personalized troubleshooting around what's not going well. And we also get to celebrate together the things that are going well. You can uh, learn about it and send me an email uh, by going to becomingbetter.org slash coaching. And I do offer anyone who's interested a free consult. So, um, you know, we get to have a conversation and get to know each other and you get to decide whether or not 
it actually makes sense for you to work with me. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris. And you know, because I'm keen to sort of support what you're you're doing, you know, I'm I'm very happy to 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 recommend people in your direction. Both because I know we're absolutely on the same page in terms of uh, strategies for for studying smarter, not necessarily harder, convincing your brain to care, and also because you know I myself have had a great experience working with you as a as a habit coach for me. So. We can offer a, a couple of sort of exclusive bonuses uh, for exam study expert listeners who are interested in going on to become a client of yours. Uh, and I'll say a little bit more about that uh, right at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. Chris, for now, I just wanted to say thanks again for such a wonderful conversation. And I'd love to just close by asking, you know, it, it's obvious you've been on quite a journey over the last 10, 15 years or so. And really, really inspirational to hear that that story and that change, uh, and how you became the the man you are today. I've wondered if there's maybe one one piece of advice you'd go back and kind of give yourself, uh, you know, maybe in your late teens. You know, what what would be the thing you'd want to want to say? My advice would be um, that when you're facing a difficult problem, the problem is not you. You know, the fact that it's hard to figure this thing out doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. doesn't mean you're not smart enough. It just means it's a legitimately hard problem and that there is a mechanical solution out there for it. Like other people have already faced this problem and you don't have to reinvent the wheel or just, you know, overcome it with like brute force, willpower, or raw intellect. Like there are strategies and that is the path forward. Use the tools, use the strategies. There's a path forward. That's fantastic. Chris, Thank you so much once again. This has been excellent. You're welcome. Thank you, William. And remember, you can hire Chris as your own habit change coach by visiting Chris's website at becomingbetter.org forward slash coaching. And as a special gift for any of you guys listening, if you decide to work with Chris, I've authorised him to give away complimentary access to my brand new mini workshop on my own study habits as a student, a video lesson which breaks down my habits regarding my study routine, my habits in my study technique, and my habits in exam week itself, all of which combined to help me get through Cambridge University and graduate with a first class degree. Uh, so if you'd like a free access to that workshop, just let Chris know that you heard him here uh, when you talk to him uh, and he'll fix you up with access to that training, which is normally priced at $27. So again, if you're deciding to work with Chris, uh, let him know that you heard about him here and he'll fix you up with complimentary access to that extra little bonus training from me. And just a little closing message. So all this talk of habits, changing habits does not imply that we're in some way broken or failing as people. I think that's a really important point to make. It can sometimes come across that way, but it's never the case. You're not broken. None of you need fixing. You're good. You're great. But growing and levelling up and building on what you've done in the past, it's a lifelong mission. It never ends. Each year, strive to be a little better in different areas of your life, and you'll be setting yourself on a path to a really extraordinary life. I wish you a really great year ahead. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Just before you go, did you know you can hire William as your very own coach and mentor to show you the stress-free way to ace your exams by studying smarter, not harder? Find out how at examstudyexpert.com slash coaching.